Hey, welcome to a special companion briefing. As you'll notice, I'm neither James nor Tommy. This is Lawrence, uh, the co-founder of The Companion, and I'm here with a special guest, my brother, the Emmy award-winning producer, Franklin Cow. Do you feel like this is a bit of a throwback to 2004 KUCI graveyard shift radio days when I used to invite you to my radio show and we would review bad movies? Yeah, I think the only thing missing at this point is the Del Taco breakfast quesadilla that would come afterwards. Um, very underrated menu item. Do you um, still only buy the cheap dollar menu items at Del Taco or have you graduated to combos and burrito supremes? No, at this point, I mean, when you go back to a Del Taco, it's for nostalgia's sake. So you got to get the greatest hits while you can. Um, those fancy, like, new chef items are, are reserved for the regulars, which we unfortunately are not at this point. Okay. And so um, so I'm based in London, UK. Uh, Franklin is based in Atlanta, Georgia, because Franklin works for uh, Turner Sports, which is home to shows like Inside the NBA, NBA Game Time, uh, and those are the kind of shows that Franklin uh, works on. And so sometimes you might have even heard his name in the credits, you know, if you heard an NBA game, you know, maybe five years ago. And, and previous to that, Franklin was a producer at Fox Sports, working on all sorts of big time sporting events from, from the Super Bowl to the Baseball World Series. I think that's where you won the Emmy, right, Franklin? I don't know if you can introduce a little bit about what you did do or what you do now. Uh, I think it'd be really interesting for everyone. Yeah, uh, I started my career at Fox Sports in LA, uh, working on the digital side uh, on a web series called Lunch with Benefits. Uh, eventually transitioned over to the linear side, doing uh, things like the World Series, um, worked on one of the Super Bowls. Uh, the 2011 World Series was the crew I was on that won the Emmy. Um, thank you to David Fries for his uh, walk-off home run in Game 6, uh, which secured that Emmy for us. Um, then I moved over to Atlanta to work at Turner Sports. Um, yeah, I've been very blessed to work on my favorite sport, the NBA. Um, worked on conference finals there. Um, Championship series for MLB, Final Fours, uh, all, all kinds of good stuff there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the funniest thing, um, at least for me, that I've witnessed uh, with Franklin, and I won't reveal any kind of uh, a dirty laundry or anything like that, but um, we, were, um, we were at Christmas, I think, one year. It was either Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we finally got together after many, many years and so naturally, you know, Franklin has many colleagues that are famous broadcasters uh, that we grew up with um, or, or athletes. And uh, he had the day off and the phone rang because someone was asking for some research. And Franklin, with his two hands kind of full uh, plates of food, uh, just instantly hit decline. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you can't decline, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Franklin said, no, man, it's my day off. I told them. I'm, I'm like eating chow mein today <laughs> and, and just shut that down. Um, but I'm sure you did a good job for them you know, afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, um, I've been very blessed again, like I said, to work with 
these people that I grew up watching, whether, you know, it's Ernie Johnson on Inside, Marv Albert on uh, some of these TNT games, uh, Kevin Harlan, um, and, and the analysts, of course, like the former um, Hall of Famers, like Reggie Miller and Shaq, and soon to be Hall of Famer uh, Chris Webber in a couple of days here. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, no, no. And it's awesome. And one of the reasons why I invited Franklin on, not only because he's my brother, he's also another Asian in media, um, because I clearly get that he's a sports producer and not a film producer, is that I do remember that um, about 10 years ago, um, there just weren't as many Asian faces in, in media, whether you're in front or behind the camera. And, uh, and I remember him telling me that he was invited to speak on a panel um, at the Los Angeles Asian and Pacific Islander Film Festival. Um, and he was going to be on a panel with fellow directors and actors. And, uh, and at the time, it was almost like a, a conversation around different generations of Asians in media. And I really wanted to really ask Franklin, like his perspective in terms of, you know, what's happened in maybe the last 10 years since you were on that panel, you know, what was Asian... American representation like in media then? And then, you know, how do you feel like it's evolved or changed you know, now? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely come a long way since then. I mean, um, some of the biggest franchises now have been handled by uh, Asian and Asian American filmmakers, you know, whether it is um, the Fast franchise with Justin Lin or um, like the Conquering Universe, uh, Insidious with James Wan. So it's definitely becoming a much bigger and um, I guess more conscious uh, in, in the general public's eye of um, these filmmakers coming along. Um, but there's still a long way to go. I mean, the vast majority of the executives are still white males and they're gonna hire who they're comfortable with and who they know have made money in the past. Um, and that's usually a white male as well. So, um, you know, to me as an Asian American, I would love to see varied perspectives, whether it's Asian or black or Hispanic or anything, female, would be great, um, which is also coming along as well. Um, but, you know, there's work to do, but it's getting better. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. All right, so I watched Shang-Chi the other day. You watched it on the premiere, uh, and this is the reason why you're here. I excitedly called you, actually, like, literally before the post-credit scenes even turned on. And then I had to like hang up because I had to watch the post-credit scenes. And then, and then we continued the conversation. And it was, I remember seeing the film and it was so overwhelming for me. I remember you had asked me like, how do you feel? And there were so many emotions like going through my mind at the same time. I was like trying to understand and like fully comprehend the plot, the themes, the little moments all at the same time. And, um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like describe to me how you felt, you know, Franklin, like as you watched the film or, or I guess when, once the film ended. Yeah. Kind of the, the same, actually. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. 
So, I mean, how many Asian led in front behind the camera movies have there even been, you know, besides Crazy Rich Asians, I guess Mulan from this past year. Uh, but even then, didn't that was only the cast really that was Asian. So I mean, it was um, yeah. Like I think the 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 first thing that I remember and what I've been telling people is that I got really emotional right when the movie started, actually. Because oh really? Yeah, you yeah. See the ten that. rings flag, and it's like boom. Okay, we're starting. The very first thing you hear is Mandarin. And subtitles come on the screen. And when that happened, I was just like, okay, okay, we're doing this. Like, uh, we are doing this. Like, I'm sitting in a Marvel movie. Around me are predominantly white and black people. Mandarin, let's go. Let's. Yeah, yeah. And then it did it for like 10 minutes or something. That, that entire first, there was not a word of English spoken until like 10 minutes in. And, did this uh, mess you up the same way it messed me up? So as it was going, I kept thinking, I'm like reading the subtitles and I'm listening to the Chinese and I'm reading the subtitles and I'm reading, you know, listening to Chinese and I'm like, is it different? Is it the same? Oh, they decided to do this. Oh, this, they changed this word that way. It was like this really surreal moment for me of like just constantly almost like translating the film like live. Yeah, that, that happens to me all the time. And um, like anytime I, I watch a movie that has Mandarin in it, uh, especially because my Mandarin is like not great. Um, it's like, okay, so I can only pick up certain things, but then I do see that there are differences too. Um, and then my wife who's white, like loves asking me about like, Oh, what, what did they like not include in the subtitle? <laughs> right, or, right, or, right. Or what did they like do differently? Cause there's always going to be something lost in translation with that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was like the very first thought was like, this is incredible. And I was like actually getting emotional when that happened. Um, yeah, and then just throughout the movie, I mean, like all the references to Asian culture, like all the characters just felt so lived in and like three dimensional and real, um, as opposed to Asian characters in the past. And there wasn't any, you know, they didn't have to like pull any punches or anything because it was all just them. It was just things that they've gone through, and like I've seen some interviews with. Like Dave Callahan and like um, Destin, you know, Cretton, and they they're talking about when like they're in the writers' room or like doing the movie. They just they were getting emotional as well because they never been in those situations before, where the entire room is just you don't have to explain yourself anymore. You know, it's really okay. So you know when um, so we were talking about this right previously, where yes, we've had Asian stars you know, Chinese stars like Jackie Chan, but, you know, in Rush Hour, you know, but it's always still through a lens of, say, Brett Ratner or something like that, the director. And it's still through a Western lens. And in this film, you have these, like, little moments. I don't know if they did this on purpose for themselves. I don't know if they did this on purpose for viewers like us or if they did this to help educate and show these kind of, like what you referenced, those subtle moments. So as an example, they do a close-up uh, pretty early on in the film, um, when Sean goes to to Katie's um, home, and it's like a, it's a close up of the shoes. I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, they, they do a close up of the of the shoes, and it's like, oh yeah, they don't have to explain anything; they just kind of show it, and they just kind of do it. 
Um, you know, how did you feel about those kind of references that they add, and, and what was that uh, like for you? You know, throughout the film. Yeah, no, those, those, all of those little things are what like gives this movie depth, right? In that sense, the Asian culture depth, and it's kind of hard to explain because a lot of those things, like yes, are stereotypically Asian, but it's also what makes us who we are. Um, and there's always that fine line where you don't you don't want to make a caricature of yourself, obviously, but you do like certain things, like. I love to go to karaoke and then it's like probably my favorite pastime. Is this, is, this is true. This is true. Franklin's 30th birthday. I su surprised him by flying from London to there. Nothing was planned. And Franklin said, let's just go do karaoke. Was that right? Or did you guys already plan karaoke? But yeah, I don't remember, but I mean, either way I wanted to do it and we did it and it was fantastic. And I but mean, I remember, and I remember because your friend, your colleagues, right, are these, I remember some of them were like amazing division one athletes, black guys, white guys, black girls, white girls. And they were like, in the beginning, really confused what was going on. And we were like, kind of explaining to them, you just go with it. And just like, pretend you're like in a music video. And then within minutes, they like got into it. It was such a, like a, a lovely, wonderful moment. But it was the first time everyone else had done that kind of thing in that kind of situation, I felt like. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, and so that's the thing, like when they included those karaoke scenes, like I got it. I, yeah. And yes, you know, the stereotype is Asians like, like karaoke, but like, yeah, no, we do. But they, they somehow were able to include all of these little like Asian touches here and there but didn't like sensationalize them or didn't blow them out of proportion or, or make them look silly. They made them just normal because um, that's what it is. And it was done very respectfully and, and well. So yeah, like the karaoke thing was definitely one of my, and you know, it was the great callback at the end too, is uh, one of my favorite of those little touches that they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other, other ones uh, I was, you know, obviously it, um, Obviously, we recognize it, you know, instantly, like I speak ABC, like, you know, my entire life going back home to Taiwan, like that's basically what we're called, right? We're American born Chinese, but they didn't explain it. That's the thing that was interesting to me. Like when he said it, um, when John John said, you know, I speak ABC, I literally thought they were going to go, oh, American born Chinese or something like that. And they just didn't do that. They just like went like into the next scene. And I really love that. And so like, that was the thing that was happening, at least to me the entire time, which is, oh, I, I kind of like what you're saying, right? Like, oh, we're, we're, we're doing this. This is all in Chinese. Okay, the shoes shot, the kanji, the martial arts, um, the line about the ABC. And every single time, weirdly, I, I still kept thinking, oh, they're going to explain that term. And they just didn't. And they kept going. And it took me actually a while to, I guess, realize that, you know, maybe like half an hour, an hour into the film, like... They're just, we're not going to be apologetic about anything. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep moving this along. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you know, hopefully it doesn't distract. Yeah. Um, and like these kinds of, these kinds of things in, in movies or art, entertainment or whatever, like it doesn't have to be so spelled out of like, oh, why do they do X, Y, and Z? I mean, just the fact that it's happening is what makes it so much more, you know, quote unquote authentic, you know, it's kind of a, a word that I don't always like using, but 
it makes it feel real. I mean, it's even even when it comes to like cooking, for instance, right? If you're making a dish, like you just know, oh, this like tastes a little different. Like you don't know what it is. Like if you were to make like a Chinese dish from like a white person's recipe, it just doesn't like taste the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For right, because they're yeah. not using like shiashing wine or like rice vinegar or like whatever it is. Like they're not using. You don't know what it is, but it's just different. And like something like this, where all the stuff is isn't exactly spelled out, but it just has that subconscious feel of being more three dimensional, more deep. But you know why I, you know why I expected it is because uh, I mean both of us have you know white wives, and I think I explained it to them. You know, like when we go home and and Sarah comes back and. You know, I'm like, oh, we should, you know, what little things like take off our shoes or, oh, we should like, you know, whatever the, the custom is, bow this way. Or why is there these candles here, you know, um, to honor the dead or whatever. And then we always try to explain it because oftentimes we're probably speaking Mandarin at the same time. Right. And it's really unfair to them. And so I think what's interesting is like, uh, that's why I expected it. Like, I felt like the cinema, the people at the cinema with me, you know, were say if they were like my friends or my family. I started saying my family, but like um, our wives, like you would have to explain it. But it's interesting because on screen, what I didn't realize is, oh, it's Asian people amongst Asian people. And so they don't have to explain anything. They could just like talk about it. And so like that was, I think, the, the interesting dynamic. I don't know if you have that experience where you have to always explain things as well. Um, and, yeah, and how that, I definitely, yeah. yeah, no, I definitely do with my wife because I, I mean, I want them to understand why something's important to me, um, which is why that happens. Um, and I don't want them to feel like they're excluded in any way. You know, Because I know when I start talking to my parents in Mandarin, they're kind of just left off in their own island. And like they're trying to follow along, but there's like no way for them to do that. Um, outside of the, you know, the classic like, English words that I'll throw in here and there that I don't know the vocabulary for in Mandarin, but um, yeah, I, I definitely feel that way at times as well. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, kind of going throughout the film, we, we've kind of talked about a little bit more on like the early parts of the film where they uh, where they have the subtle nods, and as they continue on and they get to uh, Tao Lo, the mystical you know uh, universe, the mystical land. Uh, one of my favorite things that I saw, uh, and we talked about this, was the the lions, um, and they remind me of all of those great lions in front of Chinese restaurants, you know, all of the the kind of monuments. But it's weird; it wasn't like cheesy, right? Again, like what you said, they, it was like authentic and real, and like, oh, that's what they could have looked like, you know, in, in a mystical land, you know, thousands of years ago or whatever uh, in history. Um, you know, what kind of I guess what was Taolo like for you uh, when they went into that world? Yeah, no, the the Taolo stuff was incredible, especially like at the beginning of the movie when um, when Wu meets you know his future wife there, and they have that you know the like kind of balletic martial arts fight, dance fight, whatever you want to call it, um, which just is you know clearly has inspirations from movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or Jet Li's Hero. Um, 
And, and that was like something I really loved about the movie is they were able to incorporate so many Asian elements, um, but without making it too much, I guess. Like they've, this thing is so, this movie was so many things. It was a martial arts movie. It was um, like in some ways like a, like a fantasy Chinese folklore um, with the, with Talo and the, the mystical animals and all that. Um, the final fight scene was like essentially like a kaiju movie mm-hmm. with a monster fighting a dragon. Um, it was, you know, a, about family and yeah. living up to your parents, the, the relationship you have with them and, um, not letting your family down, living up to the name and all that. Uh, and of course, you know, it was a, it was a Marvel movie too. It, with like all of these different things, they were able to blend together uh, and it just worked out so well. Yeah, not only is this film about family, I think what I liked about it was Wu, um, Shang-Chi's dad, is like he's not exactly a bad guy, bad guy. I totally get for the first 900 and, you know, 80 years of his life or whatever, like he was a bad guy. Like, don't get me wrong, that, that part of it uh, isn't right. But he actually turns good, right? And it's like, the, it's like his past life kept drawing him back in. And even then, um, I wasn't too sure if his wife, you know, had passed away or not. For some reason, I kept thinking about um, Chang'e and, you know, these wives like, like dying and then them becoming like these mystical figures and maybe there is a chance to bring them back. Um, yeah, and that was something like really interesting to me. Like he wasn't a, a clear-cut villain or at least in my mind, he wasn't a clear-cut villain. I don't, I don't know what you think about about that. Yeah, no, Wenwu was definitely one of my favorite parts of this movie and like the best, the, what makes the best Marvel movies is having the best villains, I tend to believe. Like, I don't know. To me, top three is like Wenwu, uh, Killmonger, and like Loki in the MC universe because they're all so richly written and realized. Like, there's a clear motive. It's not just like some evil warlord that wants to like destroy the world or you know, like blanket the universe with darkness or whatever. Like, he, you clearly knew where he was coming from and. You know, yeah, like you said, he was trying to do good at the end. I mean, his last act was to save his son and to give him the, the ten rings. Um, he was yeah, trying no, I, to, yeah, he was trying to like get his family back together, which was like his main motive. Unfortunately, he was like clouded and tricked by you know that evil force. Um, but yeah, like. And that's what made the movie so great. I mean, and obviously having like an actor like Tony Leung, um, who's so well-seasoned, respected, and you know, multifaceted, uh, just made the character that much better. You know what? Like, I, when you asked me after the film, when you asked me after I watched the film, like, what did you think? I don't even know if I really felt like Shang-Chi was the main character, I I get that he is, and I get he's the central figure, but so many surprises and so many characters that we didn't even know about in the trailer, I really thought in many ways, like it was almost like one Wu's story. 
like I, I was super sad when he died, you know, and I actually like um, uh, Shaoling, um, Shang-Chi's sister almost like more. I almost felt like in some ways it's like her film. We just happened to be seeing, seeing it through or told through Shang-Chi's kind of point of view. But, you know, like at the end when she is riding the dragon and she's really the one steering everything. I get that, you know, Shang-Chi has to do like almost like the final blow or the damage, but it was, it was actually her that was the main character. I, I really thought there were moments where they were going to pull that kind of, um, you know, turnaround. And it's like, oh, it's not even Shang-Chi. Like she gets the 10 rings or something like that. I, I literally thought that was going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, all the characters in this, it, it's just so great. I mean, and I, I just want to learn more about them. You know, that's what made them so great. I want to spend more time with them. Um, who knows what, what that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, Shaoling was fantastic. I mean, Aquafina as Katie was incredible. Like, so funny. And you can just tell that she's kind of guiding this whole... Um, like improv, like act, like being essentially like a vessel for the audience as well. You know, having her being that was very important. Just kind of going through this unknown world with them. Um, Michelle Yeoh, I couldn't get enough of. Would love to, you know, luckily she's still alive. Would love to see more of her going forward as well. Um, yeah, just every character was great and uh, looking forward to spending more time with you know, it's um not only these characters, I think, and, and these actors. One thing, one thing I'm really hopeful for is, you know, when we were kids, um, Shi Oji, you know, uh, Journey to the West, or, um, you know, like the, the classic stories um, like Sui Hu Zuan. And these, I remember watching these Chinese martial arts films. But because they were like really low budget and because CGI hadn't come along yet, there was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if it's a cheapness quality, but it just, it just didn't have, you know, the, the kind of shine that a Western film would have. And the problem, I think, traditionally with a lot of these epics, uh, sorry, the problem I think we have with a lot of Chinese epic stories is that they're epics. They have to be like almost like imagined or seen as this like, huge you know thousands of people of armies gods from the heavens and the underworld dragons and lions and you know and if you can't actually do it right it doesn't look very good what shang what shang chi has done and what tao lo has done is i feel like whoa there's a whole chance now for thousands of years of stories these epic stories that probably couldn't be done very well on screen before, or maybe they had to be done through animation, say like a Dragon Ball Z. Now they can be done um, in live action. I think that's actually, and I'm hoping that's actually like where we start to head. And, and I know actually some of these are starting to get made, right? I think, I think Journey to the West is, a, um, uh, is in development. Um, and there's so many of these other stories. I, 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 I can't wait to see, you know, our version of Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, you know, Harry Potter's uh, kind of out there. I don't know. Um, yeah. If you agree or if you, uh, you know, yeah. What do yeah, you think about that? No, definitely. I, I would love to venture out further into these stories. 
I mean, that's, and that's the whole great thing about like, just on a larger sense, like, like why diversity is great, right? Because like, you've only been seeing one thing from one perspective for so long, but now that you're touching all these different properties and different histories, like there's bound to be better stories out there uh, because you're drawing from a wider pool. Um, I mean, I keep like making these like food analogies because I like eating so much. But if you're just eating like hamburgers, like hamburgers are great. I love hamburgers. Fantastic. But, you know, sometimes like it's nice to have a taco. It's nice to have noodles. It's nice to have some curry or whatever, you know, an arepa or or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just different. And, it's and not only that, not only that, you start to get into, I mean, we're going to take this food analogy to the, to the bleeding edge now. You're starting to get what Korean burgers, right? And Korean fried chicken. And you start to get remixes like, you know, what's a Chinese taco or what's a Chinese pizza going to be like? Um, and, you know, these kind of, I guess Momofuku is very famous for this, right? These kind of, I don't want to say fusion because fusion has a very bad word, right? But it's um, how do you start to reimagine, you know, Japanese food through a Korean chef how do you start to uh, you know remix the hamburger like what you're saying or the taco like you're saying and that becomes even more delicious and and more interesting and so um yeah i think that's the i guess that's the possibility that we're heading into in terms of film and and these hopefully epic films and storylines yeah exactly i mean the the more we can the more perspectives we can get in a room uh on a set or whatever uh the better the product's gonna be I mean, that's just how it's going to, that's just how it works. Yeah. All right. So to kind of wrap up, we are done with the kind of first weekend. It smashed all the Labor Day uh, weekend box office um, records. Um, what, what What is it now? Is it like, I think they confirmed that the Labor Day weekend was over $90 million. I think it was like $94 million. I think it's the latest that I read. Um, and we also... You know, I really hope people stop calling this a flop. I still see a few of these things out there. Um, you know, you know, previously um, there was a lot of clickbait headlines on whether or not it would smash the kind, or at least surpass the fifty million dollar mark, or it might not. Um, but with you know the Rotten Tomatoes score, I think now reaching up to ninety three percent of the critics' rating and ninety eight percent from an audience score perspective. You know, I'm really hoping that that means that the word of mouth is going to be strong and there's going to be like a second surge into um, basically this weekend. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that in the U.S.? Do you feel that at least in Atlanta where you're from? And, you know, have you been talking to coworkers or friends uh, about this film? Um, I have. That being said, the only ones that I've talked to have been Asian. So, okay. uh, and I also haven't been in the office for like three weeks. I mean, so that's a whole other thing. Um, but it does seem like there is general excitement in the community. Um, and yeah, like when I went to go see it, it was the most packed theater I've been in to the point where I was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was, you know, the only negative part of watching this movie. Um, yeah, so it's going to be tough because, I mean, the Delta variant is real. I don't know if people are actually taking it seriously, but I want people to watch the movie, but I want people to stay safe. Um, but, I mean, I think quality will win 
in the end. I mean, hopefully, especially when it's on a Marvel scale. Um, so it's tough to say. Uh, I mean, I mean, on social media, you know, I'm kind of like living in an echo chamber, like just seeing people who also like the movie like I do. Um, so it's kind of tough to gauge because uh, I feel like, oh, yeah, everyone's like in agreement. This thing's awesome and, and it's going to be great. But on the other hand, I, I don't know. The rest of the yeah, there's still 7% of critics who gave it a rotten score. <laughs> so so it definitely exists. Um from a purely box office perspective, in terms of box office economics, if people are interested at all, um, you know, typically speaking, uh, there's a 55% um, potential drop off, maybe 55 to 65% into the second week. And so if, if Shang-Chi can beat that in any way, you know, as an example, 40% drop off, uh, that would be a huge success, you know, and, and I think there's a huge, you know, a chance for it to do that, hopefully, because, well, the reality is Labor Day weekend has not traditionally been like a very, you know, good weekend in terms of films coming out because it's right in between that summertime uh, and fall. And so you just got out of the summer blockbuster season, typically in a normal year um, without COVID, you know, families might go on holiday. It's like the last chance before school starts. Uh, and then you kind of head into the fall season. So there is no other tentpole film this weekend. The only one coming up next is um, James Bond's No Time to Die. Um, I believe that's coming out, uh, I guess, depending on the country, either uh, late September, early October. And so, um, yeah, that hopefully it, it paves a way and allows, you know, Shang-Chi to be able to, you know, have a, a great second weekend, um, you know, after last weekend. Um, yeah. Frank, anything else you want to talk about or share with everyone else? No, just go watch Shang-Chi. It was fantastic. You're going to like it. If you like action and, and comedy and I don't know who doesn't, then you're going to like this movie. I mean, I'm just really glad that uh, studios, I mean, arguably the biggest studio at this point, uh, are taking a chance on movies like this, like Black Panther, etc. Um, there's clearly an appetite for them. And, um, you know, when you are more inclusive in front and behind the camera, you're going to get a better product. That's what we saw. Awesome. Thanks, man. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this special edition of The Companion Briefing. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else, we have a whole bunch of other podcasts on our website and app. And if you join as a member, oftentimes you'll get the extended interviews and conversations, and you'll also have access to hundreds of amazing stories that talk about all sorts of uh, points of views um, and perspectives and analysis on your favorite franchises. So thank you all so much for tuning in.